Welcome to or welcome back to the Journey Through Life podcast. This is Justin Barton, the host of said podcast, and I'm super grateful to be here today and be able to talk with Andrea Bodine. This conversation I have entitled Choose Your Hard. Now you'll have to get to close to the end of this before we get into the Choose Your Hard um, part of this, but man, the payoff is so good. And the rest of the conversation is fantastic. A great conversation about um, cancer survival, about struggles of raising children, about all sorts of really good things. I really am grateful that Andrea agreed to sit down with me and go through this conversation, which ranges all over the place, but ends up in a fantastic place with a fantastic takeaway of choose your hard. And now for some housekeeping. If you have not already subscribed to the Journey Through Life podcast, scroll down right now in whatever podcast platform you're in, click on subscribe or follow or like or whatever it is in your podcast platform that allows you to be updated whenever a new episode is released. And a new episode is released pretty much every Monday, so you always have the opportunity to hear ordinary people with extraordinary stories through this podcast. Now let's talk a little bit about our partners. I'm really grateful to talk about A Life Untold. Now A Life Untold is a company that helps absolutely anyone turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book. Their process is designed to be easy for everyone. All you do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life. You can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone. After the interview is complete, A Life Untold takes over and designs, prints, and delivers your life story as a hardcover book to your door. It makes a great gift to a loved one in your life or will be a great project to do on your own. Either way, this life story, bound in a printed book, is something your family will treasure for generations. And remember that when you go to alifeuntold.com and you ch- purchase something there, remember to use promo code Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, at checkout and save 10% on your order. And that's at alifeuntold.com. Now for our other partner, Shepherd Brackets. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I purchased a floating shelf and a floating shelf bracket from Shepherd Brackets and mounted it on a wall in my son's room and put some of his and my most cherished items on there. Of course, they all have to do with baseball because according to me, baseball is the only true sport. But I love this shelf. It is just sturdy. It's beautiful. It's stylish. It's modern. I mean, a floating shelf is something that when you when you see for the first time, you go, wow, how is that done? Well, with Shepherd Brackets, it's done very, in a very high quality way, very strong, and um, will stay there and be able to hold some of those things that are most important to me. I would invite you to go to shepherdbrackets.com, shepherd is spelled S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D, brackets.com, and check out this revolutionary new style of floating shelf brackets that makes it virtually impossible to not be able to mount a shelf anywhere you want it that you have room and make it so it's sturdy and strong enough 
for holding pretty much anything you ever wanted to hold on a shelf. Go to shepherdbrackets.com and when you check out, use promo code JTL5, the number 5, to save 5% on your Shepherd Brackets and all other tools and templates and anything you would need to install a beautiful floating shelf in your home. Now one more item before we get into this conversation with Andrea Bodine. If you have not already liked and followed uh, the Journey Through Life podcast on Facebook or Instagram, go over there right now and look us up for at JTL Podcast and then follow us there. You can also see all of our old episodes if you go to our website www.jtlpod.com. All right, let's jump right into this conversation with Andrea Bodine. Choose your hard. So I'm sitting here, Andrea. Andrea Bodine, is that how you want? Uh, yeah, you I, I got. I've been married ten whole months. Awesome. So it it has been a really fun um, adventure after being yeah. single ten years. Wow. I um, have enjoyed the experience. I met him. Mason tore his ACL. Your son, Mason. My son, Mason, tore mm. his ACL. And it slowed down his mission process. It mm. slowed down his life. He thought for sure, you know, why in the world is this happening now? I'm supposed to get on with life. I'm supposed to be going on my mission. And mm-hmm. it was a great year for us. Learning what I didn't know is that his physical therapist is now my husband. Oh, wow. But I didn't know at the time, or nor did he, but he got to know Jim on a level. Um, I took Jim Mason to the first few therapy sessions. Uh-huh. And then um, he started going on his own and he got to know Jim and, and just really liked him. And then a year later, I had seen Jim on, you know, you, we have mutual friends. Mm-hmm. So I had friended him and, you know, he said, hey, thanks for friending me. How's Mason doing? Uh, and I said, he's doing great. He's actually ready for his mission. Awesome. Uh, his his uh, farewell talks this weekend. So he came and uh, we just talked a little bit on Messenger. And mm-hmm. he asked me on a date and we've been dating ever since. Awesome. <laughs> so Mason's whole entire mission, I've been dating and now married to Jim. but he got to know him on a level where it wasn't his mom just marrying this man. Yeah. No, he knew, he knew Jim was actually a really good guy. Oh, that's really Um, neat. So, so you and I, we, we know each other through Mason. So I was Mason's, I was one of his boy scout leaders way back in the day. Way back in the day. 12, 13 years old. So, so that's where our paths crossed yours and mine. Um, And I'm glad to hear that Mason's out doing some great things. He's he's doing amazing. He is uh, definitely always been a leader. One of the Mm -hmm. things that maybe you know about Mason and that I had to learn from a good friend is that he was a tough teenager. And I can't blame him. You know, he went through a mom when he was 15, diagnosed with cancer, and he kind of had to raise himself a little bit. So the part that uh, a friend had said to me is he said, Don't be afraid of his spirit. He's going to need it. Don't break Mm. it. And now as I see this boy being a leader in his mission and being an example to others, I'm like, these things all just kind of come back around. And and I'm I'm proud of him. But, you know, meanwhile, not breaking his spirit, but still guiding is is a 
yeah. fine line. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me, let, let's dig a little bit there. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Mason and your experience in mothering him as a, as a quote unquote difficult teenager. Don't break his spirit. So what are some times where you <laughs> maybe were tempted to, to break that spirit and, and maybe put the brakes on some things, but you decided better or decided not to do it at that time? You know, I've always been a lifelong learner. I love listening. I love reading about uh, ways that other people, okay. I like the way that people share their experiences. One of the ways I think these podcasts are great. Uh, someone had shared, take a step back, let it diffuse, mm. come back in. Mm. And so when he would do his normal teenager things and want to slam his door, I let it stay shut. Mm-hmm. I let myself diffuse, think through the process, what's making him right now angry, mm. um, letting him kind of come back around and waiting till he either, you know, would come back out um, or, you know, eventually, most of the time I would just let him kind of go through his moment mm-hmm. and come back around. I'm a very firm believer in apologize right now. Mm. There's no reason to let it go because it gets more harder on your pride, the longer you go. And so by allowing yourself to say sorry immediately, it diffuses the situation. Is that kind of a natural thing, a natural trait that you have to sit back and let the situation simmer and then apologize right away? Or is that something that you have to work at and and be aware of in your own life? Um, It's not the way I was raised because we were all creative, Mm. but we all had ADHD. Mm. But in the 70s, we were all just the naughty kids. Right. So, you know, we were raised in Alaska, seven mm. wild kids running free. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it was good. It was hard in school. Mm. You know, I, I definitely struggled in school. Teachers were never really thrilled that I was in their classroom because mm. as I got older, I enjoyed kind of causing issues mm. with people. Kind of and a pot stirrer, huh? I really was. I really was. I enjoyed kind of the chaos because that's what I was experiencing. Um, Anyway, so as I just kind of learned and and then became a mom, I wanted to, you know, I was raised with strong desire to work. Uh, Mm. They wanted us to be proud in what we were doing. Mm. Those are the things I wanted to take. Being slow to anger, things Mm. that we've learned uh, being uh, LDS, the things that we've learned um, in the nineties of, of more parenting and, and the internet. And there's things that are so wonderful. So many tools that we now have learning and, and, and saying, no, it ends here. You know, Mm. those are those things that, um, I wanted to take away positive things and wanted my children to, I I wanted to raise them carefully is what my mom always says, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, so, I want to go back a little bit to the high school or to the school, the teachers who, you know, you, you sought to, I don't know if you sought out chaos or if you wanted to stir up chaos, but it sounds like a lot of the, at least under your roof, it sounds like a lot of order in the house and yet chaos was what you sought. Tell, tell me a little bit about why, if I'm interpreting that correctly first, and then tell me a little bit more about the chaos. Why, why that was where you were uh, sided with at that time? I am not sure. You know, I think 
my mom had job jars and she, we were uh, from a fixer upper family. Mm. We had, we lived out in, you know, with just a few neighbors. Uh Uh, So my parents were very busy in scouting and Mm. fixing a house. Mm. And so I think I spent a lot of time having to be the nurturer of the family. My parents were busy and like I said, very strong work ethic. Mm. Um, And so I don't know if I didn't have time for school uh, because I was, you know, busy doing adult things Mm. and my mind needed to be busy. Um, I couldn't pay attention that long. So I spent a lot of time in the timeout room Mm. (laughs) and Mm. I'm not sure. And so, but then I learned to, to have a quick wit Mm. to not necessarily be the class clown, but be the one with the sharp return. Mm. And I've, I've learned to curb that about myself because it's not something that, um, I want to be known for anymore. Mm. Um, I have uh, six siblings, five brothers, one sister. Wow. And loved it. We had a great, mm. like I said, grew up in the, in, in Alaska on our own, you know, we mm. got, they were my best friends. So, so with that, are you the oldest then? No, I am the uh, fourth. I'm the exact middle child, huh. three older but, brothers, uh-huh. uh, younger brother, younger sister, younger brother. But you still found yourself kind of in a nurturing uh, mothering role as that fourth, huh? I did. Um, my mom expected a lot out of me. I, um, Mm. being, I guess the first girl. Okay. I then, you know, was her, her helper after having boys that were helping build a house. Mm -hmm. I needed to do a lot of laundry and a lot of taking care of the little kids. Um, I knew I never wanted to be as busy as my mom. Mm. Something that I took from that is, I needed to, I'm, I'm a more slower paced girl after mm. being watching a mom be Relief Society president on the scouting board, which is wonderful for her. Right. It's not for me. So it's funny how we all just take away different things from life. I mean, that's super interesting. There are lots of things that you shared there that I knew nothing about in your life. And, and, and that's great. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the exploring or some of the crazy cool things you did out in the wilderness of Alaska as kids? Uh, you know, we had, we lived, um, we had, we were neighbors to no one and we had several acres and it was all wooded. Mm. Um, and my mom was allowing us to just kind of be, we made a luge. We thought we lived on a hill. (laughs) So we walked back and forth with water from the sink, which I now as an adult would not let my kids tromp back in and out of the house Mm -hmm. with water, trying to make it icy enough to have a luge. Um, we went and we did a lot of exploring. There was a bear cave, Mm. you know, an abandoned bear cave (laughs) 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 for sure. But it, we still like, of course, we would try to dare each other to go in. Mm. You know, do you dare go into this barricade? There was a moose that once in a while would show up at our bus stop. And we were always so thrilled because then we had to turn around and go home because <laughs> we didn't have to go to school or my oh. mom would take us to school. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have to ride the bus. It was at 55 below. Mm-hmm. We could stay home from school. Oh. Um, you know, and so it was always usually around 30. but. Buses never stop. You plugged your car in. It was a different life growing up there, but it's what I knew because we grew up there. 
yeah. I spent high school in Delta, Utah. Oh, really? So, yeah. So we went from, uh, I went to high school in a very cowboy town mm. where you went uptown and dragged Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a blast. We had a great time uh, learning and doing rodeos. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was a great little town. So, so did you rodeo uh, cowboy stuff in Alaska or was it not until you got to, to Delta, Central Utah, where, where you started doing that? And I wasn't a rodeo. I just went to the rodeos. My just sister, went. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, it was just a different life. I guess mm-hmm. more, we were more of uh, uh, dragging Maine. I went to high school there. So mm-hmm. those kind of things hadn't already been, weren't, weren't my thing, but. Uh, that's so funny. My, so my grandfather, um, when he was probably close to, probably in his mid fifties to close to 60 years old, he bought a farm in Oasis in Delta. Oh, Delta you sure? area. Yeah. And so my, some of my childhood memories are there in Delta going to help That's on his nice. alfalfa farm and, yeah. and do stuff there. That's really cool to have that, that kind of connection there. So, uh, so I grew up in Hinkley. I don't know if you mm. you know how close Hinkley and Oasis are quite close together. Yeah. Right in the middle. Oasis is in the middle of Delta and Hinkley. Right. So yeah, that's um, really cool. It is. It was a great different experience. Of course, by then school, I just got through. I Mm. I think I was ready to just get on with life. Right. And so, you know, I graduated, Uh thankfully. Right, right. And then I headed off to California to be a nanny Hmm. um, right right out of high school. And I was thinking back, I was actually talking to my daughter about this earlier, and I have lived in 11 states. Wow. And 18 different houses. Hmm. We have, I've been a little bit of a nomad. Hmm. And so kind of landing here in Arizona, uh, back my, I have four brothers here and a sister who lives in Safford hmm. about three hours away. And so it's kind of fun now to be back where we all live. I lived in the South hmm. for about five years. And so it's great to be back w- with the group. Yeah. So, so Andrea, as you, sit back and think about it. When you think about the word home of all of the 11 states, 18 houses, whatever, (laughs) where is home in your mind when you close your eyes and think about home? You know, um, people ask me all the time, where are you from? They Mm -hmm. hear different accents coming out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, you know, I am just from everywhere. Mm. Um, and then we've got the cliches where home is where you hang your hat. Mm-hmm. And there is some truth to that. Home is now Arizona mm-hmm. because my, my children are here. My family is here. My mom is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, I think I, I, I'm kind of, I thrive on the new. Mm-hmm. And so um, new experiences, uh, anything new at the grocery store, if it has new on it, it has to go in my cart. <laughs> It's ridiculous. That's but funny. anyway, so I, yeah, those, those are those things where I liked all the different places for different reasons. I raised my children in Pocatello, Idaho. Hmm. And so raising them there was a wonderful experience. They almost got a little mini version of how I grew up hmm. where it was a smaller town. We had some, a uh, little bit of land for them to run and play. So hmm. they got that same experience. And they loved their childhood there. Um, mm-hmm. Mason, though, has spent his early, you know, preteen and, and teen years in Arizona mm-hmm. raising with cousins. Yeah. And that was different for him where he got to enjoy 
uh, a different lifestyle with family that my younger, my girls didn't necessarily grow up with. Hmm. And I didn't at all being raised in Alaska. It was just the right. siblings. Yeah. So, so you, your connection with, you know, extended family, your cousins, your aunts and uncles sounds like it was a, not super tight. Has it, have you ever had a tight relationship with, you know, extended family outside of your own brothers, sisters, parents, kids, whatever? Yeah, you know, I grew up uh, only seeing my grandparents a few times, but my parents or my mom's family, my dad only had one brother, Mm. uh, but my mom had um, eight siblings and they're very close family. Mm. And so uh, we have spent, I have, I think, 45 first cousins. Wow. And they're all very caring and we've done a, they've done, the Peterson family has done a camp out every year. And so just, that that connection has always been there, um, and and it has just cultivated as we got older and more appreciative of. Because I went to high school, so then I got to see them more often in yeah. a town where they all lived. Oh, okay. So that's kind of what brought you from from Alaska to Utah was uh, getting closer to family. Is that correct? That is my my dad was a, a journeyman electrician, hmm. and the work had stopped in '86. In Alaska, there wasn't, well, there wasn't a lot going on anywhere. Right. So he had to travel and it was time. My mom said, then I want to go back and live by my family uh, Mm -hmm. because he was going to go to the lower 48 Mm -hmm. and work and find some work. So, I mean, how we got to Utah. So tell me a little bit about your dad. You said he's a journeyman electrician. What else, what are some other traits or memories you have about your dad that have kind of affected you and carried on through you? My dad is a rose-colored glass kind of guy. Loves, uh, he's a positive person. We could do no wrong, which mm. was a blessing and a curse uh, because we were raised with strong work ethic, but we were very loved. Mm. And I think that um, the aunts and uncles were kind of like, your kids are rascals. And to him, he was just like, we were perfect. Mm. And and so in that, I think I took that that you know, the children that I was given have been my perfect rose colored glasses life. The things that um, I learned from my dad, my dad loved genealogy. Mm. And so it resonated with me when you said, you know, you kind of wanted to people to record people's histories. Yeah, Um, He loved that. He uh, wanted to share stories. He was always Mm. kind of gathering information when we'd go to, um, we took a trip across the United States to Wisconsin to see family. And we stopped it at graveyards on the way he wanted back in the day before we had ancestry and and family search. And so he was looking for those family members and he had, and going and doing the microfiche. He loved that. He loved the history. Um, He wanted to always be sharing these stories. Um, And so I guess I was the one that was around to listen because now people call and ask me, Hey, what did dad say about this or that? Because I'm the one with the family history that Mm. um, has kind of inherited down. And so I am learning more uh, about uh, doing ancestry, doing things like that online. Mm. So anyways, uh, I wish that we would have been able to share genealogy now as an adult with my dad, mm. um, 
with the new technology and, and different things and, and still getting those stories. That'd probably blow his mind to see all of the technology <laughs> with that, huh? It really would. And it would be amazing and, and everything at your fingertips. We yeah. are so lucky to have the world at our fingertips with just yeah. one click. We can find out information. Uh, I remember back to encyclopedia days when we yes. wanted to learn something and we'd go, and now we can ask Alexa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I love that part. Yeah. The psych- encyclopedia Alexa, huh? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You've got those connections with your father and those are some of the things that have carried on with you. Tell me a little bit about your mother's traits, some of the things that you carry on with your mother. Yeah. My mom um, is a hard worker and uh, she's very talented. She can um, paint and roof a house. She is very diversified and is always willing to help. And, and I definitely learned that from her that if you have a talent, you share it. Mm. And um, I've learned a lot of things. She's also was raised on a farm in mm. Idaho and Montana and, and in Utah. Mm-hmm. And she had to learn to do, they learned to do the very poor. She grew up very poor. And so they learned a lot of things. She can cut hair. She can perm. She can do these things that she just has kind of learned on her own mm. without any formal training, just by kind of following her around. Um, I wanted, you know, to be like her. Mm. Uh, I've learned to do all these same things. And, mm. and I'm very appreciative of the fact that, you know, if it came down to it, I could do the things that needed to be done to support, uh, save money. Mm. Um, that was very important, but also living in a home that was very well maintained. Mm. That was something that was very important to her as well. Mm. Living in a clean home, living in an organized home. Um, I took that from her. My dad was very unorganized and Mm -hmm. that was probably one of their, uh, hardest things to work through was his lack of organization and her desperate need for organization. Yeah. And maybe there's a little bit of that chaos and order that you were talking about earlier, you know, the, that's probably true. Yes. We've yeah. seen that the struggle was, uh, definitely shown in, in their lives, the way they tried to, they were both first children. Uh-huh. And so both kind of wanted it their way. My dad worked out of town a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom was kind of running the show. And mm. so then when my dad would come home, it was a little bit hard. You know, they talk about families where, you know, the dad's gone all week and then comes home and kind of wants to run the show. And the mom's like, well, wait, what? I've got a plan here. Right. That showed up definitely. She, but she's um, independent and very strong and very knowledgeable. She loves learning. I think I, I definitely got that love of learning from her. Hmm. Well, that's really neat. And it's cool. It's great legacies that you have to carry on. You know, all each of our, parents and grandparents, so on and so forth, they have a little, we are part, we have a little part of them in us. And and it's really neat to be able to look at that and say, you know what, I get this maybe from my dad, or I get this from my mom or my grandfather on my mother's side, whatever, yeah. you know, that we see a little bit in ourselves and in our own kids even. And, and it's really cool to see that legacy passed on. Even if, you know, we never really knew that other person, they're still hanging with us somewhere, you know? I agree so, with that. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. As you look back at your life, what is a, uh, an accomplishment that you have um, made in your life, whatever it may be that you are most 
proud of and grateful that you were able to do that? You know what? I think that I am, as for formal education, which I always wanted, I still mm. have never had an opportunity um, to go. Mm. Um, and so kind of, I've just been a life learner right. instead. I was able to be a stay-at-home mom, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And then as I got into the working world, I had such a new appreciation for working single moms. Mm. Um, and I wondered how they're able to do it. My children were able to dress themselves and cook themselves. And I still found it very difficult learning how to balance that new life. Mm. Um, I'd been married for 18 years and kind of, uh, and my ex-husband traveled a lot. So it was really just the kids and I, mm. and we kind of just did our own little thing. I was a shoulder order cook. I wasn't one of the like it or lump it kind of moms. I was, you know, definitely a custom, custom order what they enjoyed eating mom mm. and three different children with three totally different personalities. I don't think mm. you can make one meal that works, but mm. that's, that's me. And I had the um, ability and time to do that. How did you maintain your sanity with that? I mean, I, <laughs> I look at my, my family and if we did a different you know, said, Hey, what do you want tonight? And had three different answers. <laughs> We're kind of a, you eat it or <laughs> fend yeah. for yourself, you know? So how yeah. did you maintain your sanity with that? You know, I think that, uh, being raised in that way, I'll be curious to know if your children someday want to be short order cooks because yeah, I, wonder. I was in a house where it was a like it or sorry kind yeah. of home. And, and so I don't know if that was a difference or because I was a stay at home mom. I had the time. I had so much time and I didn't have a, we weren't making it, you know, we, they weren't like a seven course meal and, right. but they were, you know, simple things that children like to eat. Um, mm. As long as I was definitely raised with the need for having a colorful plate. I, so I definitely was raised very healthy. Uh, my mm. mom was very, very um, health conscious, made her own, ground her own wheat, made her own wheat bread. Mm. Uh, we had a big garden. And hmm. so um, I don't know. I, mean, I think that because I had the time hmm. that I was able to um, maintain and I didn't have. Also, there is a difference. There's a difference with um, a dad in the home mm -hmm. and a difference when there's just a mom. And my job is to make three kids happy. Very interesting. So, so tell me a little bit about that um, experience. You, it sounds very somewhat similar to your parents and your upbringing, your dad traveled a lot for work. Sounds like your, your ex-husband did the same. So how, what effects did that have? Well, I think in some ways good because I was raised with a very strong mom. Mm -hmm. So therefore I didn't have to do a lot of uh, compromising. You know, it was kind of, I got to raise the kids kind of how I wanted to most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and the same as her. Uh, she didn't necessarily talk a whole lot about my dad being gone. He, he was just, that was just how it was. Mm -hmm. And I think I raised my kids the same dad's at work. So we're mm -hmm. going to go to do this and this. And, and even, uh, through the divorce and moving away, they didn't go through as much hardship mm. because it wasn't all of a sudden the absence of dad. Mm. It was just, dad was just still out of town in their minds. We maintained a great relationship, uh, oh, which was very important for me and for him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, it was interesting when we were getting to that point of where we realized this wasn't going to work anymore. And he had spent the day with some associates, a husband and wife team, and they were getting on each other's nerves and they were fine though. He asked them, what's your secret? Mm-hmm. And they said, we still like each other. We can get over the things. And so as we were having this discussion, he said, I realized I can't get over the things I don't like about you. Hmm. And my response, well, what are they? I'll change. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of, um, I, I didn't even, it wasn't even like, well, what are, can we work through it? I just, I'll change whatever you need me to do. Uh-huh. And um, as I've kind of spent this time learning and growing I realized I was a bit of a chameleon mm. as a growing up, you know, I was a naughty kid, then a strong, outspoken kid mm-hmm. and to then where I just wanted to please. Mm. So who, now that you've gone through these chameleon phases, do you feel you're still a chameleon or do you feel you have found this is who Andrea is and this is who I will be? Yeah. So, you know what, after uh, going through the divorce and realizing I needed some help, I went to therapy. Mm. Uh, So as I'm sitting in the therapy office, we had three sessions and I didn't want him to think I was weird. So I was (laughs) being, you know, witty and happy and ask him about his life, ask him about all his things. And at the end of the third session, he said to me, okay, Andrea, this is our last session, unless you'd like to start talking about yourself. And, um, it was so interesting. And so we started discussing things and I didn't know what to say. I didn't have anything to say. Mm. And he said, well, draw me a picture. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, I look in and all I see is black and white TV screen. There Mm. is nothing there. And so he said, well, let me paint you a mental picture. Mm. I see a nice home with a pretty front yard and a picket fence. And a steel door with no handle, Mm. nothing inside. Mm. And so I've taken that, uh, kind of, just kind of put it in and and let it absorb. And at first you're kind of like, well, no, I have more than that. But when you kind of then, well, what do you like? Well, what do you like? You know, well, you know, there wasn't those Mm. things. And so kind of in learning about Andrea and about, who I am and do I not have anything more to offer you than just a nice front porch and, but don't come inside. Mm -hmm. And I think that literally uh, getting cancer Mm. made me stop Mm. Uh, stripping away everything that I knew about me, Mm. taking my, um, you know, my breast, taking my hair, my eyelashes, Everything, the things that you do to make yourself uh, feel like yourself, mm. were, it was gone. And I had to, I had to find the core or I was going to drown. Mm. And in some ways, my family mourned the and that they knew mm. because I was the do anything, nurturing Andrea that they knew was gone. Mm. Um, the uh, the chemo brain is real. It takes a lot of past memories. And so as you're dealing with sickness, memory loss, you know, um, and and then just trying to find how you're going to make this all happen again, 
they, they mourned that person. And mm. I realized as they're mourning the loss, I'm loving the gain, mm. loving the depth. You had to start checking off the list, you know, like, okay, who is the core me? You yeah. know, do I um, believe what I believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, am, am, am I practicing what I'm saying? Mm. You know, those things I'm checking off this list. And as you're actually checking off the list, you're actually feeling your list, filling yourself back up with, no, yeah, that, that rings true. No, I don't want to be that anymore. It was a real, it was a reset for sure. And um, the hardworking person that I was being at the time when I got cancer um, and I had to completely stop. I had to, um, I didn't have a spouse to depend on. Uh, My children were in their mid teens. So that was difficult. And I found myself at the welfare office Mm. after having two jobs and going to night school. Mm. Um, I found myself at the welfare office and wondering, how did I get to here? How did I get from being able to take care of myself to now needing everyone's support, people driving me to doctor appointments, people um, helping me pay my bills. Um, It was a very humbling experience. And now um, I have learned that I don't have to do it all alone. I am more willing to let people in Mm. Um, and and to have to go through cancer to learn that darn, that was the hard way. Definitely took the hard road in that, but I'm happier now where, because I had to stop literally and reevaluate everything. I want to go back to the cancer diagnosis here in a few minutes, but before I do that, I want to ask two questions that um, that I think uh, will really help me and I think will help others as they hear these answers. Um, so one of them is you mentioned that your kids and, and family and other people kind of mourn the loss of the old Andrea who was, you know, doing all of these things and a chameleon, you know, what do you need? I'll do it. You know, those types of things. What is something that you did a lot before that you don't do now that is maybe was hard for you and others that you gave up? I think, does that make sense? Um, yes. And I don't know if I have anything exactly descriptive, except that during family get togethers, when I'm done, I go home. Mm-hmm. When uh, people are, are are getting together, I choose not. I use my time that I give to others more wisely. Mm. Um, and in some ways, that that part is hard for them. That I don't answer the phone every time now. Mm. You know, it is not. Um, I a friend long long ago said, "Your phone is is a tool, not your master." Mm. And I like that. So um, I started taking time for myself Mm. that I didn't. And I think that was the hardest part for them. So are you more naturally an introvert then? Are you someone who gains your energy from being with yourself basically a lot? You know, I never would have thought that. But Mm. now I I would say, and, and as people know my personality, they would say, you're not an introvert. Mm-hmm. And I would, if you can be the extroverted introvert, then that's what I am. Mm. I, I need time for 
motor back up, I guess. I, I mm. think that that I don't necessarily look for times to be alone. Mm-hmm. They don't mind when I am. I actually have a real open door policy. Um, my nephews now and, and friends, people just stop in. They enjoy that, you know, they all know the code. And I used to supply a, a large amount of pop when mm-hmm. my son and, and my nephews were all running around. And mm-hmm. people would all stop in, visit for a minute, grab a soda, head on back, back out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people, uh, you know, I, I definitely spend a lot of time talking to siblings. I, I love that. Hmm. But I also know that I need to go to bed earlier than they yeah. are because hmm. they're still running hard the way I used to. Right. So knowing those limitations for myself um, are okay. And they just did, they weren't used to it. They were used right. to everybody going a million miles an hour. Yeah. Now you said you used to go a million miles an hour and going hard at the, you know, when you got together as families and now you, you pull back when it's time to go. Do you think that is because of a change in energy or is that a change in, in perspective? I think both. Um, definitely my energy is different, but I also realize that <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but it, it, I feel like I have nothing else to add to this conversation today. I'm tired and I'm, and I, and I want to, I want to be done. Mm. And I think that that part is different, you know, that for them that I say, okay, well, I'm done. Mm. And they now understand that, that, that is kind of my uh, safety mechanism, Okay, you know, so that I, um, I think, I think when you have gone through a major sickness, you learn how important your own health is. Yeah. And I think that that makes one of the differences for me. Yeah. So let's go back to, you talked about cancer and and getting that diagnosis. Tell me a little bit about how you learned about it, what your, well, let's do that. What led up to the diagnosis first? Sure. So, um, you know, with breast cancer, everyone talks about finding a lump. Mm-hmm. Um, or things like that. Mine was actually a mass, so it was building without me necessarily finding it. Mm. So one, there, I just it was very sore, mm. and people were like cancer doesn't hurt. So mm. you know, I let it go longer, mm-hmm. and finally, I decided I'd make an appointment because I decided, well, something's wrong. If it's not cancer, there's something else going on here, so I need to find out. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you're just now forty. So why don't you go in and get a mammogram? Mm -hmm. And then by the time you have the doctor, we'll have the results and we'll just kind of start doing a a well check. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went in for my mammogram. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, we're going to take a couple extra photos. And then they said, hey, we're going to probably do an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Then the radiologist is coming in. Yeah, we're going to do another ultrasound. Mm. And then they said, we need to schedule for a biopsy as soon as possible. Mm. Um, It had basically taken up almost three-fourths of, of one of my breasts. Mm. It had grown to a very large mass. Mm. Um, and from that moment on, it was MRI appointments and you know, getting ready for different things, seeing how far it went. Um, mm. And so meeting with doctors. And then, like I said, getting to the point where I realized I have to start life over. I have mm. nothing. Uh, I, I, you know, my insurance is going to end now. Mm. Um, I, I had to figure out how that was all going to happen now. Mm. Um, what were my children going to do now? Um, huh. 
Now, were, were those kind of your first reactions about insurance and children starting over life? Or what, when, when the doctor said, hey, uh, this is cancer, what was your mm-hmm. initial response? Um, actually, um, so everybody says, and it's funny because I think we've all gotten a call we don't want, mm-hmm. you know, when, whether, you know, I've had the friends with family members who have died and mm-hmm. a different, we've all got the call that has been a tough one. But uh, the moment I got the call, I was listening and he said, you know, I'm sorry to tell you this over the phone, but it's Friday. Mm-hmm. I didn't want you to go over the weekend thinking, right. wondering. Um, so I just want to let you know that you have cancer. We don't know the severity of it yet. But um, we definitely need to start an aggressive uh, process. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, how long is this going to take? Mm -hmm. And he said, probably about two and a half years. And I said, I don't have time. I don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of my very, you know, I was actually doing a side job for my brother. Yeah, I was at a home show doing a home show. I thought I could walk back in Mm. and go back on, finish up what I was doing there. Uh, I walked right in one of uh, my brother's employees, you know, I looked at him and I burst into tears and I Mm. said, I have cancer. I have Mm. to go home now. And of course, you know, I scared him to death. And, Mm. and actually then I started the process of calling my siblings Mm. and it was more of, I, I acted, I acted like it was another job. Actually, I didn't take those moments and, and do the, what's going on now. I started checking off a list again. Hmm. Calling each calling each sibling, letting them know, um, sort of like that I'm not going to be able to show up to work almost yeah. attitude than so life altering. Um, right. My father ha- has died from cancer. Hmm. So that was like maybe one of those other mechanisms that hmm. I wasn't ready to face. And so yeah. I kept it as a job instead hmm. of the emotion because, you know, we can, we know the effects of cancer. I've seen yeah. what it can do to a body. and I can take a very strong man and take him to absolutely nothing. And so I I think I just treated it very, very seriously for the very beginning. For the very first few days, it was like, what do I need to do now? Checklists and and busy. As you went through those checklists and then progressed down the treatment path, um, chemo and radiation, and and I think you had a, 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 a mastectomy, correct? A double mastectomy. Double mastectomy. A de- and it also uh, was in my lymph nodes. They removed uh, 19 lymph nodes. Mm. 17 had cancerous. It was in the bloodstream. It hadn't landed anywhere. It mm. was stage 3C. Mm. Um, the, the official term is HER2 new positive. Did you, well, when did the, um, the realization of your mortality set in? Of you know what this this did you ever have the thought this could be it and now what do I need to do? Um, I actually think you go through that a lot and I I, I think I've heard you know as I I never joined a support group hmm. my doctor didn't believe in them hmm. he doesn't he didn't um, he felt like I'd be more depressed if I went to those support groups so that was his opinion and that's the the way that I went but hmm. in learning. Um, think when I've listened to other people's stories about, you know, their own, their children being sick or, or different things happening, you have those moments at like four o'clock in the morning or in the Mm. shower where the fear really takes over and you think this could really um, be done. But once you kind of start going down that rabbit hole, 
you can really spiral. Mm. And so the attitude of staying very prayerful and staying mm. positive and seeing the good makes the difference in the healing process. And they have said that to me right away. They said, you know, your attitude is what is going to save you. Mm. Because I was very task oriented at the very beginning. Luckily, I also, my sister-in-law, who is probably one of the busiest ladies you'll ever know, um, stopped with me and took the mm. time, took me to these appointments, uh, wrote down these things because you're kind of just listening and absorbing, and, but it's not, it's not absorbing the right way. So mm. you really need to have someone with you else who is actually listening for you. So you mentioned prayer and positive attitude being key. Tell me how did the way or the, the, the intensity of your prayer, meditation, spiritual life um, change during, during these times? Um, I think I just added to it. Um, I had read a book several years, a life after death book several years ago and a lady had mentioned in one of her stories in one of the stories that she was afraid to watch her life video. Mm. And when she had this afterlife experience, she saw that it wasn't the actions that she had done, but the way she made people feel around mm. her. And that was one of my kind of life changing moments that I thought, I know that I can change the way I make people feel around me. And maybe part of the, where I realized growing up, uh, we talked about earlier being kind of a rascal. Mm -hmm. I knew that I could see the way that I made people feel. Mm. Um, I was very aware of, of the words that I could use to hurt somebody mm. or, or lift them up. And I realized at that time, that moment that I wanted to uh, change and, you know, so small gestures make such a big difference in people's lives and a yeah. smile changes the way someone looks back at you at the grocery store. And so um, the cancer, I feel like, and taking that time out actually just enhanced the direction that my life was going. Okay. Uh, I feel like um, that the prayer and the meditation are almost a given when you're sick. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody. I was actually sitting next to a gentleman when we were both in the chemo chair. Mm. And... Uh, you know, you kind of swap stories a little, what do you got? What do you got? And, mm -hmm. and I, he said, well, did it get into your lymph nodes? I said, it, it did. And he's like, well, you're a goner. I'm sorry. And I said, no, not for me. You know, I've got too much stuff to do. And, and actually, uh, Justin, my patriarchal blessing that I got when I was 27 mm. said that I was going to live a long and venerable life. Mm. <laughs> and my mom said those words after losing my dad, she really relied on those words mm. that I was going to live a long life. Mm. And that I was also promised that way before I knew I was going to have cancer. Um, so in some ways, I think I knew I was going to get through it. How I was going to do it, I didn't know. Mm. But that, you know, my, my dad loved life. Yeah. And, and I think that I also love life as well. I always say I want to live to 100. Mm. And, um, and so I, I was almost, sorry, I, I have too many things I still need to do. Yeah. <laughs> but cancer couldn't take that. But that doesn't mean that when people say, oh, well, I feel that way too. And cancer still took my mom, right. my sister, my, 
you know, I, I struggled with the live strong when mm. he said, Oh, Lance arms, he was, he was strong enough. He overcame cancer. And I'm like, right. well, my dad was strong. It took his life. And so I, yeah. I was, I was angry about that a little while. Mm. Um, and I realized it's just people's way of coping and however they need to say that they were also strong enough to do it. People, people sometimes need those stories just to keep going. So how long have you been cancer-free at this point? So one thing I learned about uh, breast cancer is they can actually cut out the cancer. Mm-hmm. It's not like it lives, you know, you're not like needing your breast to survive. Uh-huh. So you actually become cancer-free at that time mm-hmm. that you actually have your surgery. Okay. Um, and then the rest is preventative. So um, October 2013, mm-hmm. I uh, became cancer-free. Mm-hmm. And then have spent the last six years <laughs> going through um, the uh, process of gaining strength mm. and reconstruction mm. um, is a very uh, unpleasant process, very yeah. uncomfortable. The um, expanders that they put in to stretch your skin out again to have enough space to put implants in is a very uncomfortable process. And of course, I sprung a leak in one of mine. The radiologist actually was thrilled because it was on my left side. So then they didn't have to put as much heavy radiation through uh, the implant that also was right near my heart. Mm. So a lot of times, so I didn't have any heart damage along with the radiation process. Right. Um, so we started again with, with the expander process. And about two years later, expanded the skin again but it was radiated skin at that point so mm. it doesn't does not stretch as well so it it uh healed uh not great but mm. it healed and it held for a while and then i just recently did a a, a surgery that hopefully will be my last i yeah. uh that they then removed skin and also uh my latissimus muscle to cover and and support no, the process is right. It just is very difficult. And I was actually going to ask this for, you know, for anybody else who's going through this process, um, because many, many, many people go through this process on a regular basis. Exactly. And it sounds like you already answered this, but if you had to do it over again, would you go through the reconstructive process again? or, or I how would you- go through the reconstructive process. I think if I was 80, I'd say no thanks. Mm-hmm. But even though... They are, it's not a natural breast or even anything that would be resembling still makes you feel more normal. Mm -hmm. I also then went through the tattooing process, which I would highly recommend because when you're glancing at yourself on the way to the shower, it brings back a normalcy that has, that was gone, that was Mm -hmm. taken and so I would highly recommend going through. A lot of people don't want to do any further. Um, it hides the scars a little bit and, and kind of brings, uh, it's a piece that, that was missing back onto you and into you and, and makes you feel a little more normal. Well, that's, I think, some helpful feedback there for anyone who may be going through the same process and wondering, you know, is it worth it to do this? So thanks for that information there. <laughs> sure. I think taking everything very seriously, you know, your health is so important. Yeah. And what would you do if I had known sooner what I've had to go through such a long process? 
if you know a lot of people are able to take the lump out and 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 they're able to keep going they don't need the double mastectomy and uh unfortunately that was my journey Mm -hmm. um but if there's something if you feel something's wrong go check it out Mm. there you know um i i appreciate my oncologist now because there is a level of there's a chink in my armor now Mm. and so when I have any kind of doubt, I asked her, I said, does, does the paranoia ever go away? And she said, mm. not really. You just become more self-aware. Yeah. And um, if there's any kind of ache or, or, you know, my lungs, I feel like are tight. You know, I give them a call. They send mm. me right in mm. um, because the cancer, even though, you know, I've been cancer free now mm-hmm. for six years, I have clean margins. I the test that you go, I, I just graduated to a year. Um, I'll be coming up for my first gone a whole year appointment in November. And um, mm. it's a pretty major deal. And it's also scary because mm. you've been used to kind of the security blanket of getting a blood test, them telling you you're fine and you keep going on about it. So this is, this will be the first year that I will, you know, you kind of hold your breath a little bit more yeah. than you used to. Huh. Very interesting. And once again, I, yeah, I, I hope I never have to experience <laughs> it that, but, but my, you know, there's, there's cancer in my family. My grandmother passed away fairly young from cancer in my own house when I was like 12 years old. And, uh, wow. that was, You've seen it. you understand. Yeah. It. Yeah. I've seen the, the effects of it and, uh, it's, I hope that's not my lot, but if it yeah. is, I'm grateful <laughs> for conversations like this that help me. Sure. Help me see that. Andrea, as you look back at your life, what is something that you might change in your path that you've taken so far that if you could, you would, you would go back and make a change with that? Um, I think that I would be more genuine to myself. I think that I would, I would have learned to be kinder sooner. Hmm. Um, I think that kindness is key in everything. Uh, looking back, yeah, I think that mostly I would just um, want to make people that are crossing my path that they don't have to feel worse for knowing me. And I, I would, I would wish that for as many people. You know, kindness can start so small and can mean so much to so many mm. um, that. Service. I am a huge believer in service. I, I look for opportunities to serve whenever I possibly can, and so I think. But that is the part where you can you can kind of overdo it. That you can serve so many that you forget to take care of the uh, people right around you. So, so let's go back to the kindness thing. Is there a time in your life where you look back and you go, "Wow, that person's little small act of kindness." towards me really made a huge difference in my life. Like you know that. what? There's two things. Um, first, uh, our, we have a mutual friend, Corey Ellsworth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's an amazing person. His wife's amazing. Yeah. But one of the things that I, you know, you, he's so sweet to share his story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know what he's going through. You know what he's been through. Mm-hmm. And he still takes the time to say, you know, when, when we're passing... Andrea, how are you? How are you doing? Before I had cancer, you know, and I, that to me was one of those moments where I was like, you can be outside of yourself 
and and be kind um, and showing other people that you um, are aware of them. He's a pretty amazing person, and I and I valued that. His wife, when I did have cancer, I saw her at the grocery store, and she stopped and asked me how I was doing. The first few moments, and she had said, you know, um, you might just have to let God take you and roll with it, and you might just have to keep on rolling with it, um, whether you like it or not. And mm. and though, so those two people um, have been very influential. In, in showing me kindness, I have um, wonderful aunts who have always been kind to other people. And, and so I think that those, I've had definitely a wonderful example. And, and growing up in the church, there's been a lot of kindness. Mm. We learn about that. And, um, you know, my favorite hymn is put your shoulder to the wheel. Those same things, working hard and you're showing people how much you're willing to help them. Uh, and I, I think that that all just kind of boils down to that core of being there for other people and and showing them, showing kindness. I know I've said that yeah. 15 times. But. No, it's super important though. All right. Well, so Andrea, as we, as we start winding down, there's just a couple more questions I want to ask and then you can sure. fill in anything else that you feel like is important that you'd like to, to share. But one is the projection question I always ask everybody. Let's project out, you know, 50, 70 years down the road. You got grandchildren, great grandchildren all sitting around and they're talking about family history, genealogy <laughs> that comes through your dad. And they say, I wonder what Grandma Andrea had to say. And they find this. What is something you want to share with them? Things that are most important to you and what you hope for them? Yeah, I hope that. Uh, they have a reason to smile every day. I hope that they see the brighter side of life. Um, life is so good and uh, should be so valued. Um, I hope that they are fortifying their relationships with each other, that they continue that uh, strong bond that they have seen. We have uh, stayed as, as a, a very strong family. And I hope that they continue to keep that strong family, strong values, being proud of their name. Mm. I hope that they continue that. Mm. That's really neat. And then any other words of wisdom that you have to pass on to me or anybody who's listening? (laughs) I, I think basic. Life doesn't have to be profound to make a correction in life. There are basic things, small things that can change you, that can change a complete direction. Whether you are spiritual or you are religious, there is a guiding light that we all want to uh, try to follow. And I feel like listening for those small things that help guiding you and help correcting, small corrections are sure a lot easier than big corrections. And um, being quick to apologize because, um, like I mentioned, your pride uh, gets in the way and then it can go a very long time. And, and so being quick to apologize makes the, you're, you don't have to carry such a heavy burden and neither does the other person. Mm-hmm. And so I, anyways, I feel like that that is something quick to apologize and lessons are small. Don't expect something profound to happen every single time. Mm. 
I like that. Those are some good things. Andrea, this has been a lot of fun. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to get out there and just share in this before we close it up? I think, I, you know what, I could say so many things on, on try hard. Divorce is very difficult. Mm. See what changes can be made before you go to that extreme. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy when you're not in that situation. Mm-hmm. But everyone's had divorce. Everyone's had cancer. There's, we know everyone who's had these things. So mm-hmm. there's not anything that I know specifically except that you can try hard. It's a harder life. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess you choose your heart mm. and, and, and then that, that part is. <laughs> okay. So, so you just said something that just <laughs> blew my mind and I want you to dig deeper. We're not done okay. yet. We're not <laughs> done. Yet. You said, choose your heart. Yeah. Let's dig there. What do okay. you mean by that? What is hard staying in a relationship that you think is done mm. or finding the ability to apologize or um, so even with divorce is, is learning to love that person again, mm. harder than trying to love someone new. Mm. Um, you know, what is the difference some meet sometimes if it's not abusive? Um, of course, there are always reasons to get divorced that, that are validated, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy because it's, you know, you were in a hard situation it's hard out here too. Yeah. And I think that, um, make your decisions very carefully on where you want to go with this because you're, you're just sort of, I even feel that way about surgery. Sometimes, you know, you're just trading your problem for another one. Mm. Um, you know, some are very necessary and some are just going to be trading for a a new problem. Mm. Um, and so it is, I feel like, as a, when people are telling me, you know, like, wow, you know, you've, you've done such a great job. You, you didn't go get married three times. And you, you know, as, as I've been single this time and I said, it's hard, it's hard mm-hmm. out here. They, they kind of want to be like, well, it's hard in here. You yeah. know, I, we don't, we don't know each other anymore. We don't do this anymore. And, and so, I, and relationships, they're yeah. fix them. A couple other questions I want to ask. So breast cancer, you didn't choose that hard. No. So how, and, and I'm not saying that choose your heart is a, is a uh, necessarily a motto that you have or something like that, but this is a really strong takeaway, I think. So how do you incorporate choices, not choices, things that happen that come into your life that are hard with the phrase, choose your heart? Um, so when we start asking the why me questions, uh, I had a really uh, hard hit thought come to me that said, why not you? Mm. And so I could have chosen to um, really kind of mope in that area. And that's where I'm at with choose your heart is that it's going to be hard no matter what. So making the difference of changing the attitude with that. I mean, there was, there are some things in our lives that there's no choice in. I like how you said why you had the thought come into your mind when you said, why me? Well, why not you? Um, you know, I I go back to in, in the new Testament, Jesus is saying something like, 
the, the prophets of old were stoned and persecuted and everything. Why not? Why, why do you feel so special that you shouldn't be that way? Basically is what the, the idea uh-huh. of it. Right. Um, and this last time as I read that, that just stuck out to me as to, you know what, no matter what I'm going through, other people, whether they're prophets, whether they're individuals, whatever it is, have gone through that and so much worse. Why should I feel like the victim? I'm not the first person to go through those types of things. And and that's kind of the the thought process that's been going through my mind since this choose your heart has been is, you know, yeah, sometimes I don't have a choice, but uh, when I'm put there, what am I going to do with it? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I love that talk. Um, it was a few years ago that, that said, but if not, mm. and you know, I hope that all this goes well for you. I hope that you get all the things you're, you're hoping for, but if not, do you still stand for the right choices? Do you still stand for what you truly believed in? Or was it based on if all things go well? And so that's where I'm at with it too, with you is that saying, um, when I found out yet yeah, it is cancer, you are going to be facing a long road with this. And um, luckily for me, you know, I had a, a, an out, a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Does, for my father, it wasn't a good outcome, you know, and, and so I know that we all have the ability to uh, go down fighting, you know, for sure. I know my dad sure did. Uh, and, and as people are diagnosed with different stages of cancer and, um, that sweet Brooke that you spoke with, yeah, you know, um, she had such a great attitude and I appreciated hearing kind of, you know, that she's right, right up until the end, she's keeping that attitude great and for her children and for her husband, that's really incredible. And I also appreciated how she was able, someone said, well, your husband doesn't get to walk away from it. That was huge for me realizing, I think we even do that with our children Mm. where we are like, no, wait, we've gone this path. Stop, come back. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's no good. And, um, and, and yet we, you know, have to sometimes just let people walk that walk on their own. And choose their own heart, huh? (laughs) Choose their own heart because sometimes, you know, the, the hard way is the best way for them. Mm. Um, the things that I have experienced in life, have um, not always been, it seems like when you look at other people's lives and they seem like they're going pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm thinking, gosh, I live just the same. I do the same things. I, you know, I'm, I'm a good citizen, but it, you're right. It, I did just because I didn't choose it. And just because I wasn't walking that path doesn't mean that I am not exempt mm. from having those issues. So that's kind of kind of just where I wanted to clarify that is, you know, sometimes, you know, in that in that whole process of life, not all the time, but sometimes there are things that are thrown our way that we really made no choices to get there. Um, not that we're victims. I like how you said that. It's not a victim thinking. It's just the way that life and the world is. I mean, we live in a world that is imperfect. So how do you in life when, when so many things happen that really aren't our choice, how do you reconcile the suffering and the pain that goes into those things that we don't choose? And is it worth it to go through those trials when we come out the other side, whether the coming out the other side means coming out stronger and, 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 and more physically able mortally, or whether coming out the other side means 
my mortal life is now over. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, um, I think that refiner's fire, um, is very, very true. And being able to know that you can handle it is a huge win emotionally, um, physically. I know that some people when, cause you know, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of people sitting in these chemo chairs mm. and, and people want to share their story, which I find also I'm on the opposite spectrum where sometimes I just like to let people, you know, let share with me and I, and I take it in. Um, and so I have a harder time sharing. And I think that the ability to share is also healing. And so I, I appreciate when people are willing to share their stories because we all can learn so much from it. But knowing that you can do something hard is incredible. Mm. Um, there's, it's right to the core of strengthening and understanding and empathy for others. How do we press through life knowing that sometimes we have to choose our own hard and other times a heart is placed before us and we have to figure out how to approach that heart. What are your thoughts on that? You know what? I think we just wake up, do the best we can, accept what's coming our way, be thankful when things are sidestepped. Uh, because we can't, if we knew the future, we wouldn't do well, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that um, waking up and being your best self and without trying to sound so uh, pep talky, that literally waking up and knowing that uh, whatever comes my way today, I'm going to make it Hmm. um, is huge because if you say, oh, today's going to be a terrible day, I'm not going to do well you're really not expecting much greatness to happen, mm. right? And so um, when hard things are placed in front of you, you've already got that predetermined uh, set that, okay, let's roll with it. Let me, let me learn from this. Let me grow from this. Um, I learned so much. I, I can't even explain to you uh, the generosity from others. And that's the difference too, is that, People want to be there for you. People want to help. They're always looking for opportunities. And when you say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, you're not allowing other people to shine as well and, and be some be an instrument in, in your life and also in theirs that they did some good today as well. Mm-hmm. So looking people who reach out and ask, um, ask specifically. You know, uh, I, I heard that you were going through a hard time. Uh, let me bring dinner in. When you reach out and say, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do, I'm not going to because already I'm still, I'm trying to focus on all the things that I've got to get done. Yeah. Like right now, my heart is right here staring me down, choking me out. And uh, so when you, when you want to reach out to someone, say things that are really specific so Mm. that, that maybe then you're lightening their load for a minute Mm. instead of asking, you know, you're kind of, are you really offering? You want to do something. (laughs) <laughs> right? But right. make sure make sure it's specific. I want to mm. bring dinner for you this week. What day is good? You know, right. I'd love to watch your kids this afternoon or is tomorrow better? I, I Just to give you a break, can I come in? 
ask specific things because sometimes we don't even know because life is so hard and so overwhelming and your brain's going too many directions. I think that I know that your experiences and these, these points of view that you have, these perspectives are, I mean, like I said, it's causing me to, to think a whole bunch. And I know the others will be like, that was really something that I can apply into my life. And that's an experience, you know, that I can learn from and make myself a little bit better person. And that's the whole goal of this is to invite people to become a little bit better today than they were yesterday. So choose your heart. I love how, so, and, and the way you've, you've talked about it a little bit, you know, we all walk down the path of life, this journey we're on and there's forks all over the place. Sure. And I think no matter who we are and even you know, even though from the outside, some people look like, oh, that person's life is so easy. They've got it all put together. For example, Corey and Amy Ellsworth, if you didn't know sure. them, if yes. you didn't know them in their life, you would think, oh, they've got, they've got it easy. You know, yeah. they've they got like it all they love together. Each other. They've got, yeah. Oh yeah. But man, when you know somebody, no matter who it is, all decisions we have to make is choosing your heart. What heart mm-hmm. am I going to choose? I can just sit and think about that for, <laughs> for hours. So thank you so much for saying yeah. that. And the rest of this dis- this discussion has been fantastic too. But that is, right now, that's my takeaway. Yeah. Shoot your hard. Yeah, and, and you can do hard things. I think mm-hmm. that that is that part where um, you realize when people say, oh, I could never do that. Sure you can. When it's your, tr- when it's your option, you, you can do all kinds of hard things. Yeah. And, um, and I love that part when they say, you know, don't judge me for the choices that, that I made. They might've been my only ones at the time. Mm. And, and those are those things where, you know, life is hard, but life is so good. Yeah. Never forget that. Never forget that life is still so good. Awesome. Well, Andrea, this has been fun. It's been meaningful for me. I hope it's been meaningful for you. Okay. Well, there is choose your heart. I hope that you got as much out of it as I did. I still am just swimming in this concept of choose your heart and how to deal with life when hard choices are the only choices I have to make. It has been a really helpful insight for me over the last few weeks since I had this conversation with Andrea and I've really tried to apply several of the things that I'm learning and have learned from this in my life and I'm seeing some results of more acceptance more um, peace I think in the power that I have to choose my own heart anyways once again if you have not yet subscribed to to the journey through life podcast jump down there and hit subscribe right now so that all future episodes will automatically come show up to you so you don't miss any of these really cool conversations and go check out our partners a life untold and shepherd brackets have a fantastic week and we'll talk to you again next week mm-hmm.